inspire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs and creatives of all types to reveal the unexpected paths to where they are today. Today, my guest is James Costa. Costa? Costa. Why am I giving him? I'm, I'm putting like a little flair on his name now. I don't know. <laughs> but James is an entrepreneur. He's been an entrepreneur for a very long time, straight out of college. He went into the fashion industry, started with a denim line. He there's so much. I feel like I could explain so much about this, but this was a phenomenal conversation. When we start talking all about Web3 because he has a platform called Clubhouse Archives, which bridges the gap between fashion and Web3 and crypto and NFTs and everything in a way that's very needed, both in and outside of Web3. It's It'll it'll make sense later uh, throughout this episode. But yeah, I loved this one. This was so good. I hope you enjoyed it over there too, Amara. Oh, I can't even hear you. Where are you at? There you are. He's trying to silence me, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially like your little flourish. Yeah, I know at his name. Yeah, but yeah, that was such a, a great convo. And like, you're just like, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Without further ado, let's dive right in to uh, my conversation with James from Clubhouse Archives. Well, yeah, Web three and the fashion industry in general. I'm sure yeah, just well, keep you on your toes all the time <laughs> with what you do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've been doing this for 23 years, so it's it's. Um, I've learned to tread water well, but mm-hmm. uh, but still, you know, Web three is another layer of challenges that uh, keep you on your toes. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, what does today look like? What does a typical day look like for you, maybe? <laughs> so I'm I'm full time in in uh, in Web three. I took the leap um, several months ago. Uh, so if you, if you think about a typical day, um, I wake up at 5 AM every day, sometimes, you know, 5 15, um, it always depends on my, my three-year-old son. Uh, he, he's sleeping with my, my wife and I now, so it's, <laughs> you know, trying to not wake him up because that, that can be a disaster sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but 5 AM typically sitting in my chair here between, 5.30 and 5.45 uh, usually. Um, and then I work until anywhere between 7 and 8 uh, every night. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of work. Yeah. And that's so, I mean, we were working with several brands at this point. So that's that's design work, um, you know, really general business operations uh, work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a, you know, um, a six person team at this point. So there's, there's, you know, the human capital management aspect of it. There's the running the business side of it. I'm the, I'm the, the artist, I guess, technically the designer. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, it's just, uh, it's a challenge, but I'm, you know, obviously I'm here for it. I'm, I'm all in, um, invested personal capital into this, um, uh, and a lot of human capital as well. So we, my, my fam- my wife, myself, and, uh, my family are, definitely um would be considered all in on web three for sure uh-huh yeah absolutely when you sit down at 5 five thirty in the morning what's sort of your first thing do you have any sort of morning ritual or anything that gets you like in the in the mode of working lots of coffee yeah <laughs> uh, i do i actually do have a ritual it's i i, I wake up um you know tiptoe into the bathroom <laughs> 
take a shower, head downstairs once again, very quietly. And I, you know, make a pot of coffee, uh, which I sometimes finish before the rest of the family gets up. Um, but I, I make a pot of coffee. I fill up, um, uh, I don't know how much that is probably a, a quart of water and sit down and, uh, put on coffee with captain, which is an NFT show, Twitter spaces show every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, 8am Eastern. And I am, uh, that's 6am my time. And I am on that show every day um, for quite a, quite a long time now. Uh-huh. I'm a, I guess they would consider me a regular on the show. Um, and that's, that is my morning ritual every single morning. And I, I either listen and or contribute, um, but it's always on in the background at the very least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's good. You need to get the the word out, get your face out there, connect and I'm not familiar with that space, but how many people is that? Because some of those spaces are huge in the morning. Yeah, this is one of the big ones. I mean, you, it's it's not um, unusual to have anywhere from 600 to 2,000 people that will roll through on a, on a given morning. Yeah, that's wild. Um, and I've I've um, you know I've become a part of that community. That's part of what's called the DGEN network, DGEN, mm-hmm. um, and they they do the mint condition. They do coffee with captain. They do. Um, I think they have like five or six shows spread a- across the thing, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a community member there. I consistently contribute to the conversation when I can, unless, you know, I do have meetings on the East coast that happen. So sometimes, you know, I'm, it's really just on in the background. Um, and I'm, I'm just more listening than anything else. Um, remarkable. <laughs> so... <was> <laughs> No, sorry. Someone's like texting me at the oh. same time. I've got like several things going on. Um, and that's, you know, and and that's intentional of the, of the, of the fact that I, I want to be a part of the community. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great to definitely get the name and the word out there. And that's part of it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But a majority of it is this is a new technology still, even though I've been doing this since last February. There's still so much to learn in terms of every day is a new adventure. Like every day some new mint mechanic is coming down the pipeline or, or some brand new, you know, technology within the technology um, or, or some creative way that, that a company has found to use the technology. So staying up to date on all of that in the, in the infancy stages of the tech, I think is super critical and I'm trying to be a student of the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, um, I guess that's the why. Yeah. Is there anything like that that right now really jumps out to you? Any new, any changes, any recent um, mechanics or anything? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, every day, you know, every day, uh, the the QQL thing is is really interesting that they're, that they're allowing individuals to um, kind of create mints that they can then sell and gain royalties from in perpetuity since Mm. they are the creators. And that was, that was really interesting to me. And that's Um, QQL? Yeah, if you look up QQL, that's okay. that's like a so Tyler Hobbs, um, famous artist in the space, launched this kind of new thing where you can basically go on and create your own NFT. Now, it's funny, um, and I didn't do that. They're super. I mean, they're like ridiculously expensive at this point. Um, yeah, did he do Fidenza? Is that Tyler Hobbs? Yeah. That's okay. Him. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you know, how, right? So these are like this was like a very premium, but it, but the mechanic was was new. 
Yeah. No one's ever really done that. We're, we're doing, we're actually doing some new things. We, we could talk about that a little bit, but, but that really stuck out. I am part of Illuminati um, community. I, I, I hold one of those tokens. They launched um, OPP, which I don't know, it's a weird it's three letter things with similar mechanics. I don't know if that's intentional or whatnot, <laughs> but around the same time, that that is one of the, it's, it's the, someone found on Reddit a post of a contract that was minted before punks. Oh, is that the one with the, um, like the faces. domains or, oh wait, what is it? The crypto faces. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that. It's the same thing because I hold an Illuminati. I was able to go on and create a crypto face. And in doing so, you know, I think QQL is AI actually. So you're just kind of generating and it's doing it for you. You might type in some AI, you might describe some things and it kind of does it for you. Mm -hmm. This is different. Similar mechanic in the sense of you're creating something, right? But you actually go in almost like a, um, a very rudimentary kind of avatar creation of a face. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of some of the ones that we've dealt with in the past where you could pick the skin tone and the ears and the shape of the eyes and the mouth. It's a cartoon kind of a thing. Um, and I was able to go on and create a crypto face based off of this original contract. So it's technically part of a contract that predates punk. So this is like, I guess, one of the very first NFT contracts out there. Um, and Illuminati discovered this and, and recently brought that back. And they're out there, I guess, for now to, to have the provenance to say that mm -hmm. we own... Uh, which is cool. I mean, I guess yeah. technically I own one of the, you know, it's it's a new NFT, but yet one of the original, uh, you know, an NFT related to one of the original contracts. So that, that, that yeah, that super fascinating cool. because it is sort yeah. of like what point in that thread matters most. And it does feel like the contract. I mean, that is what's creating the new it was NFT. the first thing on the blockchain. Yeah. Uh, or punks, right? Or one of them. Now there are the domains. So the domains predate them, actually. So those mm -hmm. domain testing things that somebody did. You're correct. So that's like, I saw that. I saw the timeline. I think Justin Furyk actually may have posted a timeline in one of the, in Fidgetal's chat or, or somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's cool. This is like right after that, but before Punk. So it's like, as far as NFTs are concerned, like what we would consider a, an asset, right? Like a, a, a digital asset that's not domain related. Yeah. This is uh, one of the very first. So when you ask what fascinates me, it's things like that. And if I wasn't paying attention in these spaces, I can't sit in Discord all day. I just can't. I can't do it. I don't have the attention span for that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I and I help manage ours too. So I wouldn't know. Yeah. I just you just wouldn't know, right? So I guess I guess to my point earlier, that's why every day I kind of feel like I'm. That's part of going to work. Uh huh. Yeah, there's so much. There's no way to to sort of stay in the stream of so much that's happening without like conversations like this. I mean, most of everything you just shared, I am not familiar with at all. So I'm going to look into like QL, a QQL, QLL, QQL, QQL, and, and uh, OPP. Yeah, so it's like OPP is a little easier to remember if you remember uh -huh. the song, but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but QQL um, is the Tyler Hobbs thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was like, you could get a rat. I tried the raffle to get into whatever. And, but, you know, and now they, the floor shot up to, uh, what's the QQL floor up to now? I mean, it's like, 
I remember somebody the other day tell me, I think it was at 16 already. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. Yeah. These things just, <laughs> it might be even higher than that. I, I could be totally wrong, but let me, let me see where mm-hmm. man, OpenSea updating their thing was, is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. All right. So this QQL, so the mint pass for QQL is 17 ETH. I was right. Wow. Um, yeah, that stuff happens so there's fast. There's some unique thing going on here. Like I could buy the mint pass and then go on with the mint pass and purchase one of these one of one art pieces. Here's the interesting thing though. It's like, I think when I purchase that from someone, they have the opportunity to get a mint pass or something. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, it's weird. So it's kind of like if, and I think anybody can go on and actually create the AI. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the interesting, that's like the the caveat to the whole thing where it's like, you could go on and technically if someone came to you and was like, Hey, so here's the QQL items actually. So I guess these are all of, yeah, these are all of the one of one. Oh, and some of these, so dude, this is, okay. So it's the mint pass to create the artwork. The floor on the artwork is 19 and then it, the only one of them. And then it jumps to 33, 36, 50, 55, 60, 76. And then it's at a hundredth floor. Wow. Yeah. That... And, and these individuals got this pass. I believe if you won the raffle is 2.5 ETH. Wow. So they, it was an instant, like, you know, hundred thousand um, dollar, you know, jackpot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That and is if you wild. were able to create artwork that people really wanted through this AI, some of these things are valued. I mean, this is obnoxious. Some of these are 500 ETH. Like, it's life changing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's what's so wild about this space. How many people, how many people's, <laughs> how many people have had life changing moments in the last yeah. 18, 24 months. And, but then some yeah. people also, unfortunately, didn't, they maybe that's fell still, in. That's still life-changing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then <laughs> they fell in into the, way. <laughs> yeah, to the diamond hands and everything yeah. a little bit a little bit too much and um, yeah. quit jobs and didn't actually cash out. And like so many like horror stories of sorts. But at the same time, like it's just, it's wild. This is such a, an interesting it, time. It's uh we I mean I look I I I I'm not gonna say I haven't gotten lucky in the space I I I bought a single plot of other side deeds land mm-hmm. on secondary and it had a coda on it oh nice so I got you know I got um we don't know what that's gonna be worth but I'm not selling that thing until I do know to mm-hmm. be really honest with you, until the game launches and you know all that stuff um yeah. but that could be that could be a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a Moonbird somewhat early, um, you know, the day the day of Mint. Um, so nice. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think honestly that uh, there's opportunities in the space, but I I would personally um, probably only invest nowadays and in, and in, in things that I know. Like I own a lot of. Like I have a Rick House now. He's building a a, a gin brand. He's a Moonbird mm. holder that created, uh, but he's got thirty years experience in yeah. making alcohol. Right. See, that's the thing. That's the big difference, and why I didn't buy into Moonbirds because it's it's pricey. Like it was pricey from the beginning, it was, even. Yeah, it was. But, it shot up. Really yeah, quick. but Kevin Rose launching that, I'm like, okay, this is real experience coming into yep. the space and like yeah. for the last year and a half i've been telling everyone you gotta look at the people like you gotta see like there's these massive promises from brand new entrepreneurs who not all of them realize they're entrepreneurs they're like no no no, i create nfts and it's like well yeah but you need a business like you need some sort of business model that isn't secondary royalties you can't 
you can't have a sustainable business long-term forever just hoping that people keep buying and selling and flipping and doing all these things. Yeah, that's a greater greater fool theory, right? Mm-hmm. Like Definitely. You know, you, you hope that the person after you is a greater fool, uh, fool than you and yeah. you can sell for more. I, I wasn't interested in really any of that. I bought into Moonbirds because I knew people close to the projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in that space, like I said, coffee in the morning and they were just talking about it and Kevin came on and Ryan came on and mm-hmm. I was like, you know, if what they're saying is true and then I watched within the first hour and everything they said within that first hour was happening and I was oh, like, yeah. okay, I need to buy into this and I did. Um, probably should have sold it at 40, <laughs> <laughs> but didn't. Um Either but, way, though, I mean, it's still it's a great piece to have still, and be involved it's in. It's still a long term, probably mm-hmm. very valuable asset to have. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing on on the coda; those things shot up to forty as well. Um, but once again, I wasn't really interested in necessarily that. I was more interested in the long term value that it would probably provide, and probably still will still provide. So, you know, I guess my point I was making before. Right now, what I'm looking for, like Aralore, um, is a husband and wife team um that i think you know uh-huh. right yeah i like i hold one of those passes i hold rick house dow um welcome brand is a, a another brand in the space that's building um irl uh using irl experience and IRL utility um so that's really what i'm constant and that's w-e-l-l um c-o-m-e um that's really what I'm looking for today in, in, you know, Colton rain, I, I own, uh, and they're a fashion, uh, thing, um, um, brand business. It's, it's stuff like that, that I'm really interested in today. Definitely. Yeah. So I always love to dive into origin stories. So I want to sort of rewind the clock for you a little bit and sort of dive into who you are, how you got to where you are today. So I have, I have a question. How does a five foot six, 145 pound tailback walk on to fsu by the way are we recording all this everything i record from the beginning this is all just Perfect. yeah this is good so and then you chop it up and do your thing yeah yeah i always so i love to really just hit record question. and you you did your research and and by the way that's that i'm going to show you this uh this picture here uh, i don't know if you if how much research you did but <laughs> so yeah when i graduated high school i was uh, that that was where i was at and I went up to Florida State and I walked onto the football team there and I made the team, but I gained um, probably almost 30, 35 pounds over that that year. I took a year to, to, to bulk up and to, you know, um, get myself in the best condition I could to have the best foot forward to make the team. And I did um, best experience of my life doing so. I got hoisted up by uh, a crowd when we won, when we won the, uh, um, the number one versus number two matchup at Florida at the very last game of the season, they, they returned the favor, uh, in the national championship game and <laughs> destroyed us by about 30 points, but that's beside the point. Um, but I was working in the lab and I was analyzing water and soil samples for hydro petroleum content as a biochem major. I thought that, um, the rest of my life was going to be devoted to, well, to two things. My mother would have rather been medical, but I wanted forensic science to be my kind of long-term um, career. I had won a, <laughs> I took fourth in the world in, in the um, international science fair for a project that I did on fingerprinting. It was a three-year study 
Um, and in that third year, I, I placed national or internationally, I should say, um, at, at the uh, fair in Hamilton, Ontario, which was a whole nother experience that was pretty awesome. And from that experience, though, I was like, oh, well, this is my calling. Like, obviously, whatever, until I got into a lab and realized that uh, it was the biggest mistake of my life and I couldn't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. For whatever reason, I think it was the girl I was dating at the time. And she was like pushing me because she kept telling me how fashionable I was. And I was like, you know, that wasn't really, I didn't personally take note of that um, or what, nor was it like intentional. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, oh, you should be a designer. And, and you know, I laughed and whatever. And then I started thinking about it. Um, and I was, you know, I actually thought to myself, I was like, I was always an artist, just just uh, as a point of clarification. Before I went to Florida State, and I went there to play football. Like that mm-hmm. was that was the reason I went there. I could have went to Savannah College of Art and Design or an art school like that because I was an artist. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like this dichotomy that I always had growing up. Um, and m- one of my best friends was, by all uh, accounts, probably on the level of a, of a Picasso. I mean, he was a genius, um, incredible artist. He went there on full scholarship and I almost went that route. Um, not full scholarship. I was nowhere near as good as he was. Um, but I always had that side of me. So when she said that it kind of, you know, turned that side back on. And and I thought to myself, well, I could actually see myself designing clothes and that'd be a lot of fun. Like, you know, I saw that as just as something I would really enjoy. So I took denim uh, and I started kind of um, doing some of the things that I saw out the market, emulating that, the sanding, distressing, bleaching, um, because at that time, you're going back to 2000, like that's what was going on. It was a huge mm-hmm. denim craze that lasted, that started then and lasted uh, almost eight years. And some people started noticing, I was a particular um, friend and fraternity brother of mine that had noticed and asked me where I bought the jeans. And I told him I bought them at Abercrombie because they were Abercrombie, but he worked at Abercrombie and he was like, you didn't buy these at Abercrombie. He's like, these might be Abercrombie, but you didn't buy them there. And I didn't know if he was like, you know, giving me a a jab or like what? And I I came to find out, he's like, you know, I I really like these. Do you think you you could make a pair for me after I told him how I did it? And I was like, all right, well, whatever. So I made a pair for him um, using his Abercrombie jeans. And a couple of weeks later, he came back up to me and he said, hey, listen, I've got a, I've got an idea for you. And I'm like, what's, what's this idea for me that you have? He's like, I think you should start a denim line. And I was, you know, obviously I'm like, you're out of your mind. And he said, no, no, I'm serious. I've had probably 10 to 15 people come up to me and ask me where they could buy these. And I was like, that's cool. So we tried the theory out and we made them for a couple of people. And I think I charged them like 20 bucks, right? Like it was, it was literally whatever. I was like, it's just, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And you're doing all this by hand at this point. Yeah. yeah. And I just, but it was like, it was actually not a, not a difficult process the way that I was doing it. And I was like, oh, let me, you know. And then about two to three weeks after that, we had like a hundred people that wanted these things. <laughs> So I, I went I went back up to him and I said, hey, listen, you know, I can't start this by myself. Like I would need a business partner. And he's like, well, you know, my my cousin is in the, um, in the fashion industry in New York. He's a jobber. He can get us jeans and 
we can kind of start that way. And I, you know, we thought about it and this, that, and long story short, we, we started a denim line um, that kicked off a 23 year career where we hired initially consultants. Uh, one of the guys was from J crew that he had 40 years with J crew and, and some other brands designing and developing really he's more of a developer mm-hmm. and the developer is the individual that takes the design to the factory through a tech pack and generates a prototype based on those initial specs and that initial design. He was the first person I met and he taught me and the team how to be developers, all about fabrics, all about finishes, all about the technical side. So he introduced tech pack work to us and flats and everything else. And, 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 you know, we were young and we were also tech savvy. So, you know, we had, um, we had Illustrator at that point, Max, mm-hmm. Mac Computers. Um, you know, my other partner that we brought on, um, he, was, he was a graphic design major and I, I was like, we're going to need this. This is the future. And so we were making tech packs like on the computer, which was not even the way that really was, it was, that was, that was kind of new at that point because, you know, all of people were still faxing each other. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. And yeah. Emails, yeah. This is 2000. Becoming a thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And real quick, how so, did you connect with the person at J. Crew? So through my buddy whose cousin was in the fashion industry, had some connections and was like, hey, I can introduce you to some people. And he did. And then um, that was one of the consultants. And then the other one actually came from, this was really weird and random. We had a fourth partner. It was the guy I told you that went to SCAD. Mm. I brought him on because I'm like, he's just a genius artist. And if we want to do if we want to do graphics and art, you know, by hand and then translate them in the computer, maybe he could do that for us or make croquis or whatever. Someone's, he was also in a band. Someone saw him wearing the jeans on stage playing a set in Phoenix at the time. This is where he, he was already past SCAD and in Phoenix. And, you know, he called me up and said, Hey, I got this guy that says that he's a consultant and, and, you know, he wants to, he wants to talk. So, he taught us, we had a few different consultants. They taught us everything that we didn't, we weren't, this, this wasn't where we came from. Mm-hmm. But when I say we got a, a, a master's in development production, I say that because we got it through experience. So mm-hmm. what they had us do was in, after our first year, we're only a year in, start going to Hong Kong and China, flying over, going to the factories and spending two, three, four weeks. Sometimes, I mean, as it progressed, as the business got bigger, 60 days, I would sometimes be in China. Wow. Um, but in the beginning, you know, two, three weeks, you're in the factories. I, I, I didn't speak Chinese. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I learned real quick. And in the first five years, we became student. I mean, I mean, we were buying textbooks from, from uh, you know, the, the the local school bookstore um, because there was a big fashion program there. So we were getting the same um, curriculum that they, they were there. And we, we, within that first five years kind of really honed our, our skills. Yeah. Um, So that's how I got in and that's how it kind of started to really take off. Yeah. And then we go ahead. Was was it immediately full time for you? Like were you like this is what I'm doing? Well, or we were went you... out, we raised so I wrote a business plan, we raised investment, we raised um about $180,000. And at that nice. time that was that was a decent amount for for three um, you know, 20 somethings. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and brand new. I mean, you didn't have like the credentials right. of doing this for years or anything. Right. right. <laughs> so we had a good plan. Um, you know, and and to make a long story short with that, within 10 years, we were in Saks, Nordstrom. Um, we had about 200 contemporary stores around the country carrying um, Carpe Denim. That was the name of the line that eventually became Carpe Clothiers. And we also started an apparel trade show down in Miami Beach called Traffic, T-R-A-F-I-K. And through that experience and the denim brand, we, oddly enough, this is, and this is the odd thing, we went from not knowing a soul in the fashion, uh, contemporary fashion world. When I say contemporary fashion world, think of like, you know, seven jeans for all mankind and, and rails clothing and Therity brand and some of these kind of contemporary brands now that really make up that premium market, not luxury, right? And not, not, not um, lower price point uh, or off price goods, I should say, but really that middle premium brands that you go to Bloomingdale's, all those brands, right? You go to Nordstrom and you go to their, their contemporary section. So we went from not knowing anyone to after we started the trade show and ran that business for five years. And the only reason why that business uh, actually didn't end up succeeding was because of 2008, both businesses. So when the financial crash of 08 happened, half the retail industry dried up. Mm, okay. So, you know, we had a good business, but we didn't have, you know, a $50 million business that could survive something like that. And the, the point was, though, is we went from not knowing anybody to actually positioning ourselves in the upper echelons of the industry because all of the brands were coming to us. We had about 300 uh, to 350 brands exhibiting in our trade show. And we were flying buyers in. So now all of the buyers and all of the brands <laughs> are seeing us as the owners of this show kind of run it. And it opened up so many doors. Um, so through the brand and that experience, I, I, I literally was like, well, I'm going to move to New York um, after it crashed out and we kind of closed that business down. I'm like, I'm going to go to move to New York and I'm just going to chill for, you know, three to six months and figure out what I want to do. And that's when I met Jack's New York. And that was where um, I became the design director of that company. And he had me doing exactly what I was doing for Carpe, which was creating the designs, generating the tech packs taking the tech packs to the factories, except this time it was China, India, Italy. I was going to Japan. I was all over the world. And I did that for that business. And in between that, I actually consulted for a couple other brands to do some things. And, you know, part of the story of our 10 year journey was we also produced for um, the cartoon network, which is a, which was a a Turner company Um, rowdy collection, which was Dallas Austin. He's a famous producer. He did usher and TLC and a few others, um, but he had a, a clothing brand, um, and then a, a bunch of other smaller clients that we had. So we had a consulting business, we had the trade show, we had this brand. Then I went to New York and worked for Jack's New York and everything kind of changed for me then, because now I, I was at the time when I first entered, um, it was a $20 million business and he put a challenge on day one, sat us all at a table and he was like, we need to be a $40 million business by this time next year. And we were, um, which was crazy. And then by the time we left, as I was exiting... Or wait, real quick though, how does that happen? How does that happen basically Costco. overnight? Uh, so so I was in charge uh, initially of, of... He was bringing me in for 
really for sales of a particular line that he was knocking one of my <laughs> um, my line off, right? uh-huh. the old Carpe line. And when I saw it, I was like, oof, this is not a good knockoff, first <laughs> off. And I told him on day one, I'm like, I'm going to have a problem selling this for you. Um, and he's like, well, I don't know what to do, you know, hearing you say that. And and I said, let me, I go, let me take a crack at, at designing some of this for you. And I did. And we, <laughs> so on the first trade show, we sold more shirts per unit. And he was a, a primarily a shirt business at that point, okay. um, Jackson, New York, before we, we launched the full collection. I sold more shirts with the little line that I had developed than he had in this whole line. And he came to me the next day after the show and he said, I want you to design, um, I want you to, to design everything for us. And I, you know, from that point forward, developed a collection for them. So all categories, mm-hmm. um, blazers, um, bottoms, you know, knits and wovens, um, outerwear. So it really became, and then I ended up doing women's and, and that kind of, catapulted me because it was managing so and we and he was using those samples to show costco he landed the costco account and lo and behold um we literally doubled that business because the costco order the first costco order was an eight million dollar order wow right so that's a few bucks <laughs> easy, it's easy to double the uh <laughs> to double the revenue when the orders are that big uh-huh. so yeah a million unit order um at eight dollars a unit and you can do the math so um Pretty crazy because I learned a lot more about things that I didn't know from my first business. So he almost helped me because I was working with the owner every day mm-hmm. um, as the design director of the company. I was in his office every day. And was he know, the one you initially met to get in the door, or was it someone no, else? No, my my buddy Toby, um, gotcha. who was one of so this is this is the full circle. He was one of our exhibitors at the trade show. And and he knew about the brand and he's uh-huh. like, oh, they would they, you know, he's telling um the owner of Jax, like you really need to hire this guy because he's he knows everybody, he can get you in all these stores, he's an amazing designer, and da da da. And he's like, Well, I just need him to help me get this into doors. And I'm like, uh-huh. right. Yeah, so see, I that's the thing. I'm like, no, you need more than that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I like to stick a pin in that because like sometimes right. it's cynical. It's like people say, like, it's it's who you know, not what you know. But I'm like, it's what you know and who you know. Like and they only you know. work together. That's the only way it works. Well, well, there's an interesting parallel in the web three space, right? Mm-hmm. Because some people more recently I've heard no people I trust and and um and respect have made comments, blanketed comments like you know, marketing is the only thing that matters today uh, in Web3. And, you know, the people that are making the most noise are the only ones that are going to be successful. N- no, the people who are making the most noise are the only ones that are going to initially, yeah. uh, you know, fool people, mm-hmm. possibly, in most cases. Unfortunately. Uh, have success, unfortunately. It's what you do after that mm-hmm. that's more important than the noise that you make you can build slow and still have the same kind of success long-term as somebody that just made a bunch of noise um, and raised, you know, $5 million up front. If you don't know how to manage that $5 million, you might as well be lighting the money up and, and, and uh, watching the ashes float away. Yeah. It's not that much money for building these grand visions that people have, which it's like, it's funny. Like I guess it's not funny, but it, that's always sort of pained me when I see people with these roadmaps of things that I'm like, you're not raising yeah. enough money for that. There's no way you can deliver AAA on these promises. Rated game, thing, you yeah, know, just fifty million dollars, uh-huh. and they're like, we've raised twelve million, and, <laughs> and it's just like, and you're doing what? Uh-huh. Um, 
uh, you know, look for me, that's if we want to fast forward when I, when I, in between Jack's and web three, uh, I actually launched a clothing brand called nifty genius, which you probably also saw on my mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Um, how did you connect with, uh, Jared Cook? How did that come about? Man, you really did your research. Oh, no. Um, like I just I like to know because this is the whole point of this show is to dive into you and your origin story and yeah, showcase sure, sure. it. And like so, I want I want to tell as many stories as possible only because I think it's valuable for the listener. They might be like, yeah. you know, I'm in this similar position or I've had these inclinations or whatever it is. And I just think it's valuable for everyone just to see see the journey because it isn't it's not overnight. Like this is every day grinding, working, building your your skills, your network, all of it over decades now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so, so, so to answer your question, mm-hmm. uh, and I love this actually, I love the format of this. Jared didn't find me. Jared's partner found me. Uh, one of our partners who, who would eventually become my partner uh, worked for him in a variety of ways. Um, as an NFL player, Jared had a very, um, uh, a very good knack for, um, for entrepreneurship and business. He was a very smart guy. And he had his, you know, he had his investments kind of spread out across various industries um, also wisely. And one of the industries that he, and I think he was a merchandising major. um, I forget if he's got a merch degree. I think that's what he holds. He, he had that and he wanted to eventually create his own brand and and he came up with the name nifty genius and that partner had found me at jack's um and you know through conversation he said hey you know we'd love to um we'd love to just chat you know we'd love to understand where you're at and what you want to do in the future and if there's any opportunities we can explore them and don't get me wrong i love jack's um, I, I put my heart and soul into that company. Um, I think in the end, the the owner and I just had a disagreement with um, what that equated to and where where my future there, uh, or, or at least the path to getting to where I saw myself within the company, which probably could have inevitably been either at the very top um, or, or near the top is I think where he was trying to groom me to be. Um, I just felt like it was going to be a, a really super long time. And um, once again, just had some disagreements. So that opened the door mm-hmm. um, to that conversation to happen. And I had that conversation and I was very candid with with Jared at the time. And I said, look, if we're going to do this, um, let me put a plan together and tell you what it's going to look like. And, you know, we went back and forth on things and kind of settled on a place to start. And, and we did. So I took the leap uh, back into entrepreneurship at that point and launched Nifty Genius with him. And that lasted for um, five years for me. The brand is still in existence. In fact, I think he sold a portion of that to uh, another company um, um, or he might still own it. I I don't really, to be honest with you, I I don't know the final story. I just know that I exited the business um, and that was to get into Web3. Because last February, when I learned about the technology, I immediately understood that it was going to change the world, or at least the way the world uh, interacted with a lot of different things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because I had already invested in in Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. I was, I mean, we'd actually heavily invested in that, my wife and I. 
and and we were seeing gains so of course we were happy and we started investing in polygon and and solana at the time and chain link and all, all kinds of stuff um and by all accounts things were really starting to rock and i, I learned about nfts through um through greg mike he was the graphic designer of the denim line he eventually became a famous artist afterwards and that whole thing and he launched an nft project so i learned through him and i just remember thinking like this you know when i learned about the smart contract aspect of it and the royalties and all of that and i and and the, and the provenance and authenticity and, and you know the whole the whole value of of the the smart contract tied to the digital asset part of it i said that can be used for almost anything it was endless mm-hmm. and that that was what intrigued me was the fact that you could as creative as you could get with the contract would be the value that you could provide to the consumer. So in that moment, even last, I mean, this is going back a year and 10 months uh, or, or nine months. I remember thinking to myself, um, I want to do an apparel brand in this space. And I did a lot of research. And, and at that point, nothing, there was no native brand. Like, you know, I know people come out of the woodworks and I had a t-shirt on the blockchain and I, I did this <laughs> and I, Okay, great. I get that. I'm talking about a, a brand. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like uh, a t-shirt vendor telling Ralph Lauren, like, you weren't the first brand. And <laughs> so we get in these arguments sometimes in Web3. Yeah, it's a different level, though. Like, you are you come with this experience already. Right. So you're building the businesses you know how to build. There was no there was no fashion business. Yeah. That's another way to put it. Mm-hmm. Right? Brand can be a, an interpretive word um, that's contextual. There was no apparel business that would that had planted their flag in Web3 as a native Web3 brand, right? Um, I did see some people at that time. I think H&M actually at that time was was doing something. And I hear all, all of the time I learn of things that people were actually doing a long time ago. But these are just dipping their toe. They're, they're trying this. They're trying that. And I was like, no, I want to be a – I want to be Web3's brand. So like a brand that almost represented the space itself. And that was kind of the concept that I needed to, to really develop. So I took six months to write a business plan and develop a model. And I knew that it couldn't just be a clothing line. It had to be more than that. And, and the use of the technology is definitely um, a step in that direction. But what did all that mean? So we developed a, a brand that I, I have a few concepts that I like that there was in web two, there was membership brands that kind of came mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, there was Supreme that had his exclusivity. Um, there were some other brands that if you kind of bought into the brand, um, you had some perks and I'm like, I like that. And I think that's very web three. So um, this was always about a membership NFT. And I just had to figure out, well, what in the heck are, are people going to get for the membership? And the first thing I, I wanted was the physical good, which sounds odd to people at the time in the space because it wasn't really about that. But that's always, for me, what it was about because it's all I know. I'm like, like, how can you not get the physical good and call yourself a clothing brand? Because there were fashion projects that were doing digital marketplaces and things like that. But once again, just not a, a solidified brand um, to kind of represent the space. And that's all I ever wanted to be. So that was the first thing, right? You buy our NFT, you get the physical good. Mm-hmm. That, that was the, um, the 
the base of the model. And what else could we get with this with this membership pass? Um, well, we wanted to also grant the ability to have access to events, right? So if you hold a pass, you get access to events. If you hold a pass, you get a discount on all of the goods, right? So then now there's that that um, kind of exclusivity factor of like I'm going to get something more than an individual that doesn't hold a pass. And then I I really started to understand that royalties and all of these things were were sought after, kind of almost like a holy grail uh, of mm-hmm. of how do we give back to the and the whole securities issue baffled me, and I struggled with um, being able to figure that part of it out until I spoke to someone. Um, it was a lawyer, and then another individual who was an advisor, VC advisor, and they said, well you said that you want your community to participate in the brand because that was the other part that I haven't mentioned yet is I wanted every holder to have a say in the product development process. That was the membership part kind of like taken to the next level Mm -hmm. was, okay, it's cool to have a membership and to just be have access, but what if they actually had a vote and like, should we do this in Indigo? Should this be black and white? Should this be evergreen and white? And if 30 people out of 40 say, you know, this should be black and white, should probably make it in black and white because it's 30 people that will likely be more apt to buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that I saw it. It's like playing to the crowd at that point. If I had had a focus group in my 23 years of doing this, I would have utilized it because I would have had a better opportunity to sell more goods. So that was really the unique part of it. It was the participation. It was the access. And what he said is, well, since they're participating and they're voting, they work for you, don't they? And I'm like, kind of. That's interesting. That's actually exactly what I said to him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was like, that's an interesting. He goes, why don't you make them sign 1099s and they'll be independent contract agreements and you can compensate them with whatever is uh, whatever you think is fair. I saw that 1099 on the site and it didn't register that. Yeah, that one little little extra bit gets you there because i was sort of wondering how that would work out but it totally does make sense because they're sort of the the design board of sorts like working together to part of the process yeah wow that is without that integral part of the process we don't have the working model right Mm -hmm. so they are they are a cog in the in the um you know in in the process if you want to think of it that way uh, a wheel um you know in in the little watch that turns Mm -hmm. the dial and and I think that's a critical piece because like I said, it really shows you what the end product success rate is going to look like way more than if you didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So, if, so as a designer, I, I looked at that, I'm like, I started salivating. I'm like, this is really cool. So now you've got participation, you've got access, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, then you really have um, community, which, which honestly, um, I think is is probably the biggest value of any of these um, projects or, or businesses, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably sometimes the most underspoken about or un- under talked about, right? Because we've got a, an amazing foundation for our community already laid out um, in what I refer to as the Key Society. 80 advisors that I literally um, handpicked from the space to help me um sorry apologies. i don't know if you can hear that but i've got like oh yeah it's all good things are getting pinged now it's uh, t- <laughs> terrible um i could probably let me let me silence that actually um 
there were 80 individuals that I handpicked to help shape and mold the business from an advisory perspective. So I would hit a brick wall on something and I'd go to one of these advisors and I'd say, Hey, you've been in, you know, you're an OG in the space. Um, what do I do? What should I do? What do you think about this? Um, and that, that foundation um, was our initial community. Right. And then we started selling passes and now we've got a bigger community. It's not by any means close to any of the massive communities that exist. Um, but it's a very valuable community because every single one of our holders we would consider a diamond hander. Um, there are two passes listed. One of them is a community pass that I own. Um, <laughs> and that was intentional uh, at two ETH. And then, and then there's one other at 1.8. Um, and that was someone being cute because I listed one at two. <laughs> um, so literally we don't have anybody that wants to sell from the, from the business at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think that that speaks to the model, right? Like they understand that we're developing a business. Um, and that's the kind of community that I find extremely valuable and that anybody that sees this from the outside should look at me like, yeah, that's a massive value to me because it's almost like protection, right? Mm -hmm. I know that my community members are going to have my back in that way because we're in this to win this and, and to build um, because this is truly going to be a very long play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most businesses and, and um, aside from Web3 are three years to profitability. Yeah. This isn't going to be any different than that. So it's kind of like a strap in and and um, let's build. Now, we do have the fortunate ability of of selling NFTs. So so we you know there's going to be opportunities where that'll jump quicker and and we'll get there faster. But that's the mindset that we bring to this, right? Mm -hmm. um, is we are ingrained in this for the long haul. So that's um, yeah, that's Clubhouse Archives. It's kind of who we are and what we're doing. Yeah. So, what are people able to buy into right now? So, you have the keys out there. You have the the community. Are one of those still available for minting? And how does that work? Yeah, we have a Genesis Pass. Mm -hmm. we, so we're selling the membership pass. The membership pass is an NFT. It is a digital collectible. We don't even use the word NFT really. On if you go on our website, I don't even think we have um, that acronym listed anywhere. We we say digital collectible or, or asset. It is a digital asset. You can buy it for six hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. And why do I say six hundred dollars? Because most people in the space are like, "What?" Yeah, which I really uh, like this. So it's a dynamic contract that's always pegged to six hundred dollars. So whereas it might be point four today, it could be point two. It could be more than like you just know that when you're buying a pass from us, you're paying six hundred dollars. That's it. And and I wanted to peg it that way because people's minds equate better to USD than they do um, funny money. And some people <laughs> say, "Well, that's a negative. It'll work against you." Cool. I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm telling people what the value is, what we've pegged it at, and what we have determined when the pass is bent out, what the use of funds for that that uh, raise will be. That's a normal business plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't go to my, I couldn't go to people, uh, you know, in the real world and say, well, today your investment's $300 and tomorrow it might be a <laughs> thousand. People are just like, what? So I, I get what people might say when they're like, yeah, well, when ETH moves up and down that value. Yeah, but at the time that you purchased it, I'm charging everybody the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I that's really it. like that. I mean, that's a business. Like you it's wouldn't business, have right. you wouldn't it's have like, a jacket that you're like, yeah, today it's this, tomorrow it's that. Next right. week it's this. It like just wouldn't make right. sense. And like, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry it's pegged to a volatile asset. I, I just I, I want people to understand that no matter when you buy that, 
you're paying $600. Yeah. So that way, everybody that comes into this business literally came in on the same pretense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, equal so. equal uh, footing when they're entering. So where is it in terms of the the product right now? Because I've seen like the digital samples and things. Where does it, like where are you standing with what? We, ha we have in development right now um, prototypes for the HODL sweatshirt. So with our membership pass for $600, mm -hmm. you get a complimentary garment. Okay. You get access, you get the discounted price. So you'll pay cost plus a small percentage for all of our collections um, in perpetuity. And then you get the 1099 opportunity along with the community and whatnot. Um, so that free garment is what we're developing now. We capped uh, uh, it off, I think, uh, September 30th. All of the individuals that have bought a pass up to that point are going to get the inaugural um, very first um HODL sweatshirt, a crew neck pullover, cotton modal sweatshirt that uh, we're about to launch tomorrow. Um, we're gonna we're gonna tease out to our community our voting URL. So we created a, a whole marketplace. We have a token gated marketplace that that um, all of this will transact on, and then we have a token gated voting site. So they'll go on. And, and we're going to just throw out probably 20 items for them just to play around with, to understand how the process works. Uh, I'll be in LA on Monday through Wednesday meeting with um, suppliers and, and a few factories. And one of them in particular is doing the sweatshirt. Uh, and then we'll begin that process to have them develop this first sweatshirt. It will contain an NFC chip as all of our, our items will, um, which is a near, a near field communication chip, sorry that allows you to prove both authenticity and ownership. And then you can even enhance the customer experience with things like AR. Mm -hmm. um, so that sweatshirt will come um, NFC ready with some interesting perks that they're not even aware of yet. Um, that is also gonna be a, a little bit of a game-changing thing in, in the space. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. Like, yeah. so what does that look like then in terms of the production side? Are you doing is it almost like a pre-order where you're going to produce the number for the holders or will this be something? That's, exact, okay. that's exactly what it is. Gotcha. So for this one, it's free, right? So we mm -hmm. already know the number. It's just, we're producing 20% over because you know how things work with yeah. <laughs> This didn't fit me. Do you have any? So we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're always um, trying to be cognizant of that. But all of the collections that we release will be sold for a period of time. So if it's a week or two weeks, right? And then after that week or two weeks period, we'll close it off. Holders and non-holders can buy. Holders get the preferred pricing. Non-holders can still buy, not the sweatshirt, but things after yeah. that, and still buy um, the varsity jacket. It might be, you know, $700, but you can buy it. Mm-hmm. Our membership obviously going to pay a lot less than that. Um, and after that two week period, whatever sales we do inside and outside of uh, the communities, um, we'll then go to production with that. And that'll be a very efficient way. So we're tackling a lot of problems in space, you know, Web3's yeah. problem of, of <laughs> the merch uh, that they currently <laughs> have. Um, and then fashion's problem of, of over. Uh, production over consumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then even just uh, distribution later, like if you, because that was the thing, like I have a, a friend who has his little, uh, like a merch line pre web three, like just his business for the last 12 yeah, years. Clothing and, brand. 
Yeah. What was that? Yeah, yeah. And every every skew, like every size is a skew. So you're paying for the warehouse to hold that and send it out. Like all these different things you don't think about when you're thinking print on demand. If it gets put on the shelf, so the way the way three PLs work, and we 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 worked with a three PL. Um, and what's three PL? Um, third party logistics company. It's a usually what we would call a pick, pack, and ship company. So they will pick, pack, and ship an individual e-com item uh, direct to consumer, or they'll pick, pack, and ship your bulk orders out to Nordstrom, mm-hmm. right? But the way a three PL works is they receive, right? There's a cost for that, just to receive the bulk goods. They shelve, and then they pick, pack, and ship. If there is still stuff on the shelf, every single month you're getting charged for that rent. Yeah. So the cost of your goods increases every month and your margin decreases every month that those goods sit there. So there's a whole formula and system to, you know, trying to order as efficiently as possible, right? And predictive, um, um, you know, future sales and all that kind of play into it. But but uh, this really eliminates a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, and it really makes it a much more efficient business. So um, I'm, it, there's so many excitement uh, aspects to what we're doing in terms of what I came from to where we're going that, you know, that, that's why I'm all in. And that's why we're really in uh, as a team and as a company and as a family, we're in this for the long haul. Yeah, for sure. What would you recommend to someone who is, who wants to create like merch that isn't just print on demand and maybe maybe the, the 3PL approach isn't really seeming to fit, but almost in that middle ground. Like, is there well, any, rec- are there any, any recommendations you could give? Yeah, Clubhouse Archives. So one thing that we <laughs> didn't talk about is the fact that not only are we creating this brand for the space, we're working with seven brands um, right now, mm-hmm. businesses in Web3 and, and, and one of them that's not a Web3 native brand, um, very big company that's that, the household name in one sense, but to develop um, apparel for them. Mm-hmm. Right to be the design, development, production, and in some cases logistics. We're not trust me. That's not really going to be part of our business model. Um, but to kind of help these companies get off the ground, we can make the connections and help them get it in the right place. Um, but we would also suggest the business model that we have. Right, mm-hmm. we sell these things, um, and in some cases they don't want to do that. They they want to order in bulk and yeah. just because they have the membership there to do it. Um, but others are like, oh, that's great. So so my suggestion is. Um, reach out because our, our door is always open. That's part of the model of, of who we are and what we do. And that's how we're going to grow this business out. And, and um, you know, all that kind of goes back and benefits the holders. Yeah. It's funny because this conversation is happening at a perfect time because there's an artist I'm working with. Like I do development, brand development, physical, like code development, business strategy and everything. I'm working with an artist who is designing a bunch of apparel that goes in his nft and he wants to he wants to go for that high end not uh fashion but like streetwear so it is um like the uh it's screen print and embroidery and all this stuff so this this conversation is actually at a perfect time so i was just talking to him last night about this so it's um we'll definitely have to chat soon is there a size or a um like like for someone to work with clubhouse do you there's sort no, of see- there's no minimum requirement of, of like size of the business so okay. we, you know, we work with brands big and small we do try to pick and choose um you know things that make sense for the for for obviously the company but oh, yeah. 
we're in the beginning stages of this. So I would love to talk to, mm-hmm. uh, we're all here. We're, we're here for the people of web. It's, it's not available. You yeah. So now obviously they're like, I want to make one t-shirt and I want to do three pieces. <laughs> it's like, well, um, but, but people that are trying to create legit, it sounds like he's designing and he wants to create a brand. Mm-hmm. That's, Think of us as infrastructure in the space. Yeah, which is so needed across the board, whether it's Web3, whether it's just a traditional Web2. Like that is like you're filling a need that like the more we talk, the more I sort of learn about this. I'm like, this this really does feel like a need that goes beyond Web3 to a to a degree that I haven't really hadn't really considered until we started chatting. Yeah, because we're looking to we're looking to service those in, those individuals like your friend mm-hmm. that are looking to create a brand um, but don't know how to do it. Yeah, and, and we can be that conduit of education um, to help them really bring those concepts to life, and that's you know that's what he will ultimately, I'm sure, wants to do. So um, I look forward to that connection, and I do appreciate that. By the way, oh yeah, yeah, I appreciate you. And I'm just curious, Clubhouse Archives, where did the name come from? Oh, great question. So Clubhouse Archives really came from my kind of DNA, if you will, in terms of who I am and and how I designed over the past 23 years. I have always been a golfer. Um, Actually, I've always been an athlete, to be really honest. Uh, At one point, I was playing, I think, five different sports that I would always just roll into the next one, and and that cycled for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, golf wasn't one of them that I did like at the higher level, but it was the one that I actually loved the most. So it's kind of weird. Um, we it, it just didn't seem like it was the one that was going to get me to where I wanted to be. But I always loved kind of traditional sportswear that had a little bit of an edge or a twist to it. Mm-hmm. So when Ralph Lauren Rugby came about, I looked at that brand. I'm like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Love it. Love the heritage look. Um, and by all accounts, that became kind of a cultural movement and like streetwear mixed in with that. And that became a thing. And I latched onto that because I'm like, this is, this is really awesome. So I thought of clubhouse archives by saying, if you went back in the archives of all of the old clubhouses and every sport has a clubhouse for the most part and pulled garments out of the back closet that they had, you know, from periods of time, and updated those. That was the initial concept. And the other part of that is not just the athletic side, but the pieces in time that also represented the spectators. Because that's what sportswear really means. I know people sometimes get that confused. They think sportswear and they're like, you know, gym shorts. And No, sportswear really came from the things you wore when you went to go watch sports. And people used to get really dressed up. So that's where the, the term sportswear comes from. So people, when they think that, they think they're going to buy, you know, a pair of um, of gym shorts or something, like I said, and it's, it's that's inevitably not not the case. It's a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that. That is, that really brings it together so well. And like looking at you have the, uh, I don't know, Letterman's jacket. I don't know. The, the exact, varsity jacket. Varsity jacket. Yeah, yeah, which is like something I saw there and it totally... As soon as you said that, all those all those threads just sort of fit now together in my brain. Right. Yeah, so think think of us as like a culture meets counterculture. You know, if you mixed Ralph Lauren with Supreme, you know, it's kind of a contemporary streetwear, um, men's and women's wear brand that 
really we just think is going to speak to today's consumer, especially and specifically in Web3 because of some of the things that we're doing that um, people will see. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is exciting. I I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know you're very busy with all this, um, but where should we send people to uh, dive in and learn more? Yeah, good question. www.theclubhousearchives.com will get you to our site at Clubhouse Arc NFT. We'll get you to our Twitter. Um, and from both of those, you'll be able to reach the minting um, site if you wanted to mint a Genesis Pass. Uh, it would teach you and, and inform you of everything about the brand that we discussed today and more. Obviously, there were things we didn't touch on. Um, and um, yeah, it'll, it'll hopefully answer any questions that you might have looming um, after all that. So uh, everything is there. I appreciate that question again, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you. This has been, this has been awesome and so enlightening, like so inspirational too. I just, I love your drive and your, the, just the story, just the journey. Like when you're talking about the denim, I kept thinking about um, how to make it in America. It was an HBO show in the early 2000s, same sort of hustling in New York kind of vibe. It was on a denim line. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so, and it was on three, like uh two or three young guys that were together. To, uh -huh. Somebody told me that, that that loosely came from from a meeting of me and my partners. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. At one point, we were all in New York, and this predates that by a long time, by like five, five or six years. That's hilarious. So like you could be the inspiration for that TV show. Could have been. That yeah. was one of the stories. I, uh -huh. I didn't necessarily uh, believe it based on the way it was told to me. Um, but we, I, I may or may not have mentioned this, we had a connection to Turner Networks. Um, mm -hmm. So there were a lot of, um, we worked with a lot of individuals over at, Turn, uh, at, at Turner, um, Cartoon Network, and uh, and there were a few other other ones there as well, um, where we were doing some apparel for the licenses that they held. And it kind of, the, the, the dots kind of connected, but I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't believe that. But that um, spark, like it could have very well been that spark where they're like, there's he was, a story here. He this was is convincing in his argument, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think he might've had one, one too many uh, Jack Daniels that night, so who knows? <laughs> Either way, I love it. it. There are parallels there for sure, because I loved that show. It was just that entrepreneurial drive and uh, focus. Like I'm not going to lose, I'm going to figure this out. And That's it's right. been a while since I watched it, so I, I don't want to... I don't want to predict too much. When I watched the show, I actually thought that in the back of my mind. So when he brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I had a conspiracy theory in my head. But um, that that was a theory um, that someone said that they had very good information on. But we'll we'll, uh, we'll kind of leave it at that as a, just a theory. <laughs> I messed up that transition just a little bit. Okay. Well, anyway, I don't you laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to thank James. <laughs> it's just so, a clusterfuck. So this is why this is nice having you here because I would have just started over, but now this is staying in. I want to thank James for joining me on this episode. This was such a great conversation. I love his story. I love that he may have actually inspired the show, How to Make It in America, and that just sort of happened at the end there. I didn't even... I had no uh, expectation of that, but it truly feels like that. But anyway, such a great conversation. Be sure to go to theclubhousearchives.com. That was the website, wasn't it? <laughs> now I'm like, this is, I am just a mess right now. Your but, camera just died too. Did it really? Yeah. So <laughs> you have to talk over it. <laughs> this is, this is amazing. Are like, wrap it this up. This is amazing. Okay, so 
great. Outro this I am. I'm over here. Hello. That is such a great camera. Or wait, no, we can go to this camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so this was a great conversation. This has been fun. We, we're just going to cut it here. Definitely check out everything that he's up to. Check out the Clubhouse archives on Twitter. Uh, links, The links will be in the description. Thank you for laughing at me over there. Thank you, James, for your time. This is so much fun. But with that, we're going to get out of here. This is starting now. I'm Jeff Saris. That's Amara Andrew. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> with the snort. Oh, that should be the new apparel line.